Blog Talk Radio. pediatric speech and language pathologist, and I'm so excited that you've joined me for this show. Let's just kind of talk about what today's show means and what it's all about, because sometimes when parents would read the title, Tie Pre-Linguistic Skills to Language Development for Light Talkers, they don't really understand what that means, or they get bogged down by the word pre-linguistic. Do not let that word intimidate you. Pre-linguistic just means pre, before, and linguistic language or talking. So what are all the things that have to happen before a late-talking toddler finally begins to use some words? That's what we're going to be discussing in today's show. Now, this is kind of a special show because I plan to use this show as a reference for articles and posts that I write on my podcast, for speaking events that I do, or just for parents when they email me and say, my kid's not talking, what are some things I could be looking at? And honestly, (laughs) this show too is for my own clients, for parents of children that I will work with directly when I'm trying to explain all the reasons that their particular child isn't talking. I hope to be able to use this show as a resource so that they can go back and listen and they can go back and really connect the dots. And that's what I want you to be able to do too, whether you're a parent or a therapist. Now, as a therapist, you can certainly use this information directly as you're sharing with parents exactly what you're seeing with their child and exactly what you feel like are the reasons that a child isn't talking. And that's such an important thing for parents to hear and for therapists to share. And sometimes we overlook that. Sometimes as therapists we go in and we think, well, surely this mom understands that her child doesn't really link meaning with words or surely this mom realizes that her kid isn't using any gestures Sometimes they don't, and so we, or, or here, here's what happens too. They know those things, but they don't understand how it relates to talking and how those skills relate to communicating and how these 11 skills that we're going to talk about today really form that foundation. And so when a kid is missing one or two of these skills, a language delay is, is, could happen. But when a kid is missing several, three, four, five of these skills, a language delay is inevitable. And that's what I really want to share today is go through this list of 11 really important pre-linguistic skills that I've put together and then talk about why it's important for language. And I, as therapists, I want to give you one line, <laughs> one simple explanation that will help you you begin conversations with parents or serve as kind of a summary statement or help them pull together everything you're saying because sometimes we just assume that parents know all these things or we think, well, surely they've done some Internet research or talked to someone or, or you know, they've, they've understood that <laughs> these are the reasons words aren't coming. And, again, even when a kid has a diagnosis like Down syndrome or autism or you know, whatever, what other medical diagnosis or, or other information they've gotten from the doctor, we think that sometimes parents have done that research and, again, that they've made those connections and that they understand all the reasons that their child isn't yet talking. And so we just kind of head in there with them and just focus on words, 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 and getting that expressive piece going when there's so much more beneath the surface. And that's why a kid is not really, really communicating. And we've got to get him communicating and understanding language 
first in how to use language before those little words will even be meaningful. So that's what we're going to do today is walk through this information. Now, if you are on my email list, you've gotten lots of emails about prelinguistic skills and how important these things are. And all of this information is from my new book, Let's Talk About Talking. And this information is even pulled together for you in a chart that's at the end of that new therapy manual. And if you're on my email list, you've gotten access to this chart, even if you haven't gotten the book yet. It's in a password-protected post, and I'm going to honor <laughs> that commitment to keep it password protected just for the folks who are on my email list. It's kind of a little bonus for them. So if you don't have this chart yet, you can get it. Go subscribe at my website at teachmetotalk.com. It's real easy. It's right there on the home page in the green banner. And so just enter your email address and you'll get on that email list and start getting uh, those notifications, and you can have access to this information. All right, so let's get started. And like I said before, there are 11 of these prelinguistic skills, these things that come first before a kid really begins to talk. And they're organized in a loosely sequential way, meaning that we, when we look at typical language development in a baby, who moves up through toddlerhood, we expect these skills to develop, and sometimes they're not quite as linear or sequential, as I said, as we would hope for them to be, because the truth is in typically developing children, a lot of these things are emerging and coming in all at the same time. But with late talkers, kids tend to stay in these phases for longer periods of time and can even get stuck there. And so it will be almost easier for you as a therapist or a parent to tease out some of these skills because you'll be able to say that is something he or she definitely cannot do yet. Um, but again, if you're a parent of a child who is, just has a real mild delay or a minimal delay, you may be thinking that some of these skills are emerging and coming in kind of at the same time and it's hard to sort of draw the line. And again, that's that's just how it is. <laughs> That's what typical language development is all about. And these things are much, much easier for children who are not struggling to learn to communicate. And so that's why, again, sometimes as a parent, you'll, uh, a parent of a late talker, you'll talk to another mom whose child is not struggling to learn language, and they just don't get it. They don't understand what the big deal is. They don't understand um, why it's so hard for your child. They may not understand your distress about it because they don't, they aren't experiencing the same things that you're living with on a day-to-day -day basis. And again, this show might help you explain some of these things with these little one-liners that I'm going to give you with why these specific skills are important to language development. Now, again, this is an overview show, so we're not going to go into lots of detail about these skills. We're just going to talk about what they are and then why they're important to language development. But for the connections and for an in-depth look at these or listen <laughs> for these skills. You can go back. Last year I did a show on each one of these skills, and you can scroll through uh, Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Just look through those previous shows. They're all back at the beginning of 2016, and you can pick out the individual shows. Or even better, <laughs> you can get the most up-to-date information in my new book, Let's Talk About Talking, and I'll give you information for uh, getting your own copy of that book at the end of today's show. But let's move along and talk about these 11 skills. And remember that we already said that they are arranged loosely with how these skills emerge in typical language development or typical development in a 
baby. And some of these skills are coming in even in the first few weeks and months of a child's life. And so let's just start talking about these. Skill number one, the foundation for everything, reacts to events in the environment. So what does that mean? That means that a kid responds to things that he hears, things that he sees, things that he feels. Now, children with very significant neurological or physical uh, differences or disabilities will struggle with this. You may not see them always notice a new toy. They may not seem to respond when you talk to them. Children with hearing loss certainly will fall into this category with, as far as because they can't hear. So they're certainly not going w without um, assistance, without a hearing aid or cochlear implant or other kind of external assistance. They're, they're going to have difficulty with this. Children who have visual impairments will have difficulty with this. Children, again, who have other kinds of medical diagnoses are going to have uh, trouble learning how to respond, and that's where we as therapists and as parents come in to really get in there and help develop some compensatory strategies so that they can overcome and or deal with, compensate with whatever their difficulty happens to be. Now, why is reacting to events in the environment important? Because responding is the foundation for interacting and communicating. And unless a kid really gets beyond his internal system to become aware of what's going on around him. He is not developmentally there yet. And so that's the foundation here. We have to help a child learn to use his senses to explore things in the environment. To do that, we offer new experiences often. We don't just leave it up to that kid to learn things on his own. We get in there. We manipulate the environment. We change things about how we present information so that he can learn to look at things and listen to us as we talk and listen to other environmental sounds. We help him learn to explore toys. We help him learn to hold toys, to mouth toys, because that's part of a typical baby's experience. That's how they learn lots of information initially is by getting things in their little mouth with all those sensory receptors that are there. And so we do really specific things in the beginning to get that reaction and responding going. All right, skill number two is response to people. So this is just one step beyond skill number one. In skill number one, we were really looking at, at things. So does a child notice when a balloon is there? Does he notice when the cat runs <laughs> into the room? Does he pay attention when you jiggle that new toy in front of him? This one is bumped up a little bit, but it occurs at the same time, helping a child learn how to respond to people when they talk to or play with him. And we see this skill emerging in newborns as a newborn really learns to focus on his mom's face as she's holding him or nursing him there. And this is important because... <laughs> Communicating always involves at least two people. And when kids don't respond, when they ignore other people or avoid other people, communication is pretty one-sided. As a parent, you probably, uh, as a parent of a kid with this difficulty responding or social interaction skills, when that isn't there consistently, communication does feel uh, pretty um as I said, one-sided. You feel like, gosh, I'm talking, but he is not listening to me. He is not processing what I've said. He's going off and doing his own thing. He's, he's just not engaged and uh, 
connected to me like he needs to be. And so this skill is just huge for language development. We have to help a kid learn to consistently respond to other people. Now here's the kicker. Some late-talking toddlers who will eventually go on to be diagnosed with autism have significant significant difficulties in this area and they may be pretty connected to their moms and their dads and their other uh, siblings or other really familiar people when you work to get that connection or they just may be naturally connected because on on a really basic survival level they know that you love them and they seek you out because you've been there from the beginning with them but these kids often have a just a marked just markedly harder time connecting with other people. So, again, you may have a friend or it might be a grandparent who doesn't see the child every single day and who doesn't know the little nuances of what that child likes so that that adult and that other person can't get in there and use the tricks and the tips and the things that have worked for them. And because that other person is not as adept at dealing with your own child's unique little personality, your kid ignores them or doesn't seem to connect with them or is really, really quick to run away or blows them off. That's a responding problem. And, again, all kids, all typically developing babies and toddlers, have have some um, reluctance to interact with new people. And that's part of stranger anxiety. And, again, that's a protective instinct. We don't want our children to go to anyone or to be as comfortable with people who they don't know yet. We want that little barrier or boundary there so that they don't just reach out to everyone. But when an adult or someone is really trying to interact with them, we need our children to be able to respond. And again, that's the basis for communication. So when we have a kid that we're seeing, and this is for you therapists, who is not you know, especially with work, when we are working to get them to interact with us and when we are trying really hard to get them to pay attention to us and that kid still turns us off or turns his attention to us off, we know that that's a really big red flag. And this is how we explain it to parents. We say we've got to get him more connected to other people because unless he's connected, unless he's engaged in interacting, there's no reason to communicate there. He really doesn't get that whole back and forth piece. And this leads us on to the next skill. And so can you see how these are all interrelated and how sometimes it's hard to tease them apart? This next one is an extension of that responding, skill number three is takes turns with you during interaction. Why is that important? Well, turn-taking is how all of us become, like I said before, that reciprocal interaction where we realize, you know, you talk and I listen and then I talk and then you listen. It's how all of us really, really um, establish that pattern of communicating that we've all come to expect where there's that give and take, that back and forth exchange. And so how do we get that going in a kid who is reluctant to do that, in a kid who seems like he's in his own little world and who avoids interaction, who sort of wants to stay doing what he wants to do and it's super, super difficult to pull him away from that? We have to begin by treating his actions as if they are purposeful. We have to start with things that are nonverbal, so not talking where we are playing little uh, trading games with everyday objects and toys, and we really help a kid learn how to join in and take a turn. I forgot to mention when we were talking back and responding about uh, in the responding skill 
that our beginning strategy here is just not to let kids check out or be alone for long periods of time. And this is certainly an important key here when we're teaching turn-taking with a child. We have to give kids reasons to include us. So we have to really look and sound like the most fun play partner or more fun than any other thing that a kid would want to do. So more fun than him, what he's looking at out the window, or more fun than what he's watching on a screen, or more fun than sitting and you know flicking one little piece of a toy that he's become absorbed with. So we have to do that and we have to get play going so that again we have a platform for teaching him how to take turns with us. And so I don't want to get too bogged down in the strategies today or too uh, detailed on what these initial strategies are. The purpose of today's show is really just to give you some beginning little ideas only to help you tie this back to why this skill is important for talking and communicating. And again, turn taking is such an important piece of that. And sometimes we don't look at turn taking until a kid is already talking. And when I originally did this series of podcasts back in 2016, I had this originally as skill number 11 or kind of the last piece. And then as I used this approach with families that I was working with, I found myself talking about turn-taking much, much earlier in this whole sequence than I had listed. So if you were a a listener and really um, were trying to, as a therapist, use this information to treat children on your caseload, and you're thinking, you know, oh, turn-taking, I thought about that as kind of coming later. Sometimes we do think about that after a kid is verbal, but honestly, it starts at a nonverbal level much, much earlier. So that's why I moved it back here, because we have to get that, again, that reciprocity, that back and forth, that you do something, I do something, you do something, I do something. That's established in typically developing children long before words come in. That That whole pattern there doesn't just happen when a kid becomes conversational. We see it in almost any kind of little interaction that we do with kids, even if it's just we're talking about eye contact, that turn-taking, you know, you look at me and then I look back at you. That's an example of really early turn-taking. So we want to be sure that we are focused on that and we're thinking about that and we're getting that going again long before we expect to hear words. All right, let's move on to the next skill, skill number four. What is this one? Gosh, it's so important. It develops a longer attention span. And this would be that a kid stays with you for several minutes before he's ready to move on. And why is this important? This is a quote that I read, gosh, so many years ago that I can't even really remember the source that I got it from. It's probably documented somewhere (laughs) in Let's Talk About Talking or in an earlier course that I've taught because I've used this quote for so long. But it's just, oh, it's, it's just full of wisdom. And if you're a therapist, this is something that you should be saying to parents. Attention is the gatekeeper for learning everything, especially language. So unless a kid is paying attention to you, unless he is tuned in and focused, he's not really ready to learn anything. He is off busy moving on to the next thing and moving on to the next thing and moving on to the next thing. And that's why children who were in kind of that scan, shift, scan, shift, scan, shift mentality, that's they're so busy and it's just hard for them to settle down and focus on anything that you're trying to get them to learn, and especially when it's brand new, it's almost guaranteed that they're not going to retain any of that information. So we have to help them learn how to settle down and stay with us 
so that they can learn from us. And again, I have so much information about helping children learn that and again why it's so important in the book. But I want to be sure that you are thinking about attention spans. Research says that a typically developing toddler can spend three to six minutes on a new activity before wanting to move on. And I've really found that to be true. And our little guys with developmental differences often are three to six seconds. <laughs> and if you're a parent who has a kid with a longer attention span, you may think that that's an exaggeration. But if you're a therapist, you know kids like that. You've worked with kids like that that just kind of bounce off the walls the whole time you're working with them. And they can't really seem to ever stay with anything, especially if they're not initially interested. So that's one of the things we have to do is begin with things that they like and then help them learn how to extend that attention span, even if we're just doing, you know, the one more rule, let's do one more thing, let's do one more piece, let's read one more page, let's take one more turn. That is a really practical way to get that attention going. And again, you know, I could talk for hours and hours and hours about how important helping a kid learn how to regulate and stay with you is and give you tons and tons of tips for that. But I just want you to realize right now how important attention is and how that is really a core skill that even in toddlers we have to address and we have to help a child lengthen his ability to stay with you so that he can learn from you. And again, this would be it encompasses all areas of development, but it is really, really important for language development because they have to stay with you long enough to hear what you're saying, to see what you're talking about, and again, give them time to really process and digest and own that information so that they can apply it later. All right, let's move on to the next skill, which is really an extension of an attention span. It's joint attention, and that's where a kid learns how to shift and share joint attention with others. Now, this means that a kid knows and understands that you are trying to get him to pay attention or notice another object. So many times, parents and therapists are really fooled by this joint attention thing <laughs> or skill if we're looking at that, and a parent will say, well, his attention span is pretty good, but they don't really realize that the kid... Um, it lacks that ability to pay attention to what a parent has introduced or what a another adult says, hey, look. And if a kid doesn't know how to refocus his attention or how to shift from what he's doing and what he's currently attending to to notice what you are now talking about, oh, gosh, language learning is so difficult for him. Kids learn how to understand words and talk by listening when you share important information. So that's your one-liner here, and that's what's so important about joint attention. If you can't get him to, uh, it, it, let's just take an example. Let's say he's playing with a ball, and he's bouncing the ball over and over and over on the on you know on the floor he's playing there but you're bringing in something that you uh, want him to drink and if you cannot get his attention <laughs> to show him the juice or whatever it is or let's say it's just a new toy or a new object that you want to show him if you can't get him to notice that he's never going to learn what that word means or to learn to follow that command or even again do something maybe um, you know I, I use the example of juice or, or drink you know that's a real basic need that might not be the best example there but it's just going to be harder for him to take in new information and again connect that word that you're saying with what he's doing or what you're trying to show him. So joint attention is so, so important. 
And so we have to really help children learn how to notice us. We have to help them uh, when we are, notice when we're pointing. We have to teach them games so that they can look for us and look at what we're talking about. And again, that's where we're really introducing a lot of gestures like pointing and showing and giving. And until a kid can notice what we're doing when we do that, he's not going to be able to use that skill himself. So to be able to point himself to redirect our attention or to be able to give us something to get us to um, notice what he's talking about. And so it kind of begins with him in that role of listening and paying attention and participating when we show him. So can you see how all these skills are kind of tied together? And so uh, joint attention, again, is such an, an important accumulation of all the skills that we've already talked about with responding to people, with taking turns with us and really paying attention. That kind of all comes together here in skill number five with that joint attention piece. And it's a skill that so many kids with language delays, particularly those who go on to be diagnosed with autism, it's just a really, really key skill that so many of our little friends lack. And we really need to be able to differentiate their own attention or when they are paying attention to something and then we just come in and talk about it, sometimes we confuse that with that a kid um, has adequate joint attention. The joint attention piece is when we are bringing something in that's completely um, not registered in their little attention span yet. When we're diverting their attention to something new, that's joint attention. So if you have a kid who's really focused on his own interests, so he's kind of solitary a lot of the time, if you're a parent and you have a kid like this, you are really relating to my examples right now because you know how hard it is to get his attention to something that you want to show him versus something that he's naturally drawn to. So that, again, is a really important distinction that we need to be sure that we're making. All right, let's move on to skill number six. We're kind of shifting gears a little bit and talking about playing with a variety of toys appropriately. Now, how in the world does that relate to language development? Well, kids learn almost everything through playing. And when kids don't naturally like to explore new toys, they miss so many opportunities for learning cognitive skills and language skills. And by cognitive skills, I mean, you know, a kid's ability to think, to learn, to remember, to pay attention. That's kind of all lumped under that big cognitive umbrella. But play is a really big part of that. How does a kid respond? How, how easily does he figure out little problems that are presented during play? And by problems, I mean, how does the toy work? What happens when I put the ball in? I want to get the door open. What do I do to get that door open? Oh, how do I make this piece fit in the puzzle? All those little things, all those early skills are so perfectly honed as a baby and toddler learn how to play with a variety of toys. And so when we have a kid who just ignores toys or who um, doesn't seem to like very many things, maybe has just a real limited set of interests, he is just missing out on a wealth of opportunities to learn new skills. And again, those new, new nonverbal skills are the foundation for words. And those cognitive skills, how he figures things out, how he understands cause and effect, how he understands object permanence, meaning that something doesn't disappear just because you don't see it, how he learns how to try and try again when the first couple things that he 
uh, attempts to do with a toy don't work. When a kid is learning all of those things, those things form the foundation for learning words and using words and being able to talk about those processes. So that's why play is super, super important for kids, um, all kids, but certainly for our late-talking little friends. And our kids who aren't great players, it's not usually because they don't like toys. Sometimes parents will get real confused by that and think this is just about their individual preferences. And while those things are super important, and it's how we kind of get our foot in the door and get kids to like us with toys by using things that we know that they're going to like, it's certainly not the end-all thing with we we need to be looking at them playing with a variety of toys and learning lots and lots and lots of new things because that's what leads to richer language development. So that's kind of the tie-in with play. All right, let's move on to skill number seven. And this is certainly something that I just <laughs> rant about continuously. <laughs> and this is that a child understands early words and follows simple directions. So as a speech-language pathologist, we call this receptive language, meaning what he's taking in, versus expressive language or what he's putting out. You know, expressive language is the talking piece or the gesturing piece, how he shows you what he wants and what he needs and how he's thinking. This is what comes first, the receptive piece. How does he understand what you are saying? How does he connect what you're saying with what he's saying and with what he's doing? This is kind of the, the foundation for that. We must remember that kids have to understand words before they can really use those words to communicate. Now, we know that children can talk or can imitate or parrot or um, just kind of repeat what they hear other people say without truly, truly understanding it. And that in and of itself, Im imitation is key for all children to learn language. So you can't just throw it out and say we never want a kid to repeat. But when a kid is just repeating words or repeating long segments of conversations or dialogue that they've heard before, that's called echolalia. And that, that really is an indicator that that expressive piece is moving along but there's a disconnect with what they, um, they don't know how to use words to express. Again, there's a pragmatic piece missing there as well with they don't really know how to use those words that they're saying to communicate and to connect with you and to share meaning with you. Now, over time, we can certainly tweak that, but the basis for this really is understanding or that receptive language or comprehension component. The best way to know if a kid has adequate comprehension skills in order to be able to talk is really pretty simple. Does he follow familiar directions? During your everyday routines, can you say things like, go get your shoes, or where's your cup, or bring mama the ball? If a kid isn't doing those kinds of things by 15 or 18 months, we know that there's a significant problem in how he understands language. And if he doesn't understand language well enough to follow directions, he's not going to be able to use language well enough to communicate. And so certainly all of these skills that we're looking at and typically developing toddlers happen right there. They're all coming together in that 12 to 15 to 18-month range. And so even with typically developing uh, babies by, by their first birthdays, they understand lots and lots and lots of words. And in typical language development, kids understand a lot more than they can say. So it's a really big red flag when a kid seems to be able to say a word, but he doesn't really 
give you any evidence that he understands what that word means. So we have to look so carefully at receptive language. Toddlers need to be able to complete many different requests consistently. So that's a huge part of learning how to talk is learning how to understand words. And again, I believe that that actually comes first because that's what happens in typical development. And again, I've already said typically developing children understand their toddlers understand much, much more than they can say. And so when that pattern is reversed, it's a big red flag. And so that means we need to do everything we can to work on that receptive piece or that comprehension piece. And so be sure as a therapist that you're explaining that almost over-explaining that to parents. You know, I kind of say it to the point where sometimes parents will say to me, okay, I got it, I got it, yeah, I understand that part. Kids have to understand words before they use those words to talk. Got it, Laura. And that broken record of just repeating that over and over and over will really help you convey how important receptive language is to parents. And so if you're a parent listening to this and you're thinking, well, my kid never does anything that I say, I hope this is a big you know, light bulb moment for you in that previously maybe you've contributed that to his personality you know, or his just, you know, uh, temperament, you know, oh, he's defiant, just like his dad, or he's stubborn, just like his brother, those kinds of things, that really doesn't explain a kid who doesn't follow um, very many directions during daily routines. All children should be learning to cooperate during a task, like I've already mentioned, those really basic things like it's time to take a bath. They should be going toward the bathroom because they've already linked baths with that activity. So they hear that. They know what you're talking about. They want to do it. So they they follow that. Even if you're not giving a direct request, they just understand your words there. When you say to a kid, do you want something to drink, he should be giving you some feedback with that. Again, either going to the kitchen or nodding to you yes or looking at you expectantly like yeah get me something that sounds like a great idea when we don't see a lot of that we know that receptive language is a big problem and that we need to address that and get him to understand words so that he can use those words to communicate and talk with us when he's ready all right let's move on to skill number eight and this is kind of shifting gears too this is looking at that basic way that we learn how to express ourselves with talking, and that's just by vocalizing or making sounds purposefully. Now, why is this important? Because nobody can talk until we learn how to produce noise, until we learn how to make sounds on purpose. And so we see children before they begin to talk, especially um, in a baby's first year, once he hits about six, seven, eight months, they get super noisy and they get your attention by using their voices. And again, it's very purposeful. It may start out as kind of a, that uh, when, when a baby in those first few months of life, he, start, he cries instinctively or reflexively and you respond as you should as a good parent. And so then a kid learns by association, gosh, when I cry, mom comes. And over the, a child or toddler's first year, year and a half, they really learn to shape all the sounds that they can make with their little mouths to become more language-like. And so we see that natural progression. But there is a subset of kids 
who don't learn how to do that. And, you know, we could go into all the different <laughs> diagnoses, and that's beyond the scope of this show. But just know that kids have to learn how to use their voices, and they have to learn how to direct that to somebody else. It's not just that they're lying there in their beds babbling or just making a lot of noise from the back seat, you know, when they're in their car seat. They learn that's how they get your attention. That's how they get you to recognize that they need something or want something or that they just want to hang out with you or play with you. And so that vocalizing is an important piece. Now, a lot of times as speech therapists, we get kind of hyper-focused on this piece, and we're just looking at that output without looking at all of these other skills that have to come along with that to help a child really learn how not just to talk but how to communicate. But it is an important piece, and it is something that we should be addressing. And when children are not using their voices to yell out for you or to call out for you, you know, that, again, happens before words emerge. So we have to look at that intentionality even just with vocalizations. And so how do we get that going? Gosh, tons of ideas for that. And, again, that's beyond the scope of this show. But just to help a child learn that, we notice them when they use their little voices. To help a child learn that a kid who is naturally pretty quiet, that he's got to... He's got to make some noise and that he can control that. And that's a really, really important skill for uh, many, many late talkers. Now, some late talkers have already mastered that. They squeal and, uh, you know, will just yell out for you and, and will do anything they can with their little voices to get their attention, uh, to get your attention. So the skill is beyond, or the, the scope of their problem is beyond this initial little piece. But we're just talking about these foundational pieces, again, in this little series. And we're just looking at how does a kid, does a kid understand that he can use his voice and how does he use his voice to vocalize and make those um make himself noticed with the sounds that he can make from his own little mouth. All right, let's move on here. Skill number nine, this is that a child learns how to imitate you. And we talked a little bit about imitation a minute ago, but it's, it's such an important thing, and it's the skill, the core skill, that so many late talkers are missing. They <laughs> don't get that correlation between you want them to say what you've tried to get them to say. So as a parent, you may recognize this. You may have for months been sitting in front of your kid saying, say, Mama, Mama, tell me Mama, Mama. And you may even do Mama, 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 and just, oh, gosh, anything you can do to get a child to try to repeat what you've said. Guys, imitation doesn't begin just at that word level or him being able to repeat your words. We actually have to back that up and go all the way down that continuum, all the way back to action. So does he repeat actions or copy what he sees you do from um, in play and daily routines? And so, again, we can't just, with, with all of these skills, there's, there's usually a starting point that happens a lot sooner than with words. We have to start it at that nonverbal level. So again, we're, we're walking through this. Don't have a lot of time to get into how we t the specifics of how we get a kid to do these things. You just need to know at this point that imitation is critical and that so many of our kids who are late talkers have to back way up and learn how to do that with actions, with toys, and with body movements, and even with simpler things with their mouths, like play sounds. And some kids have to learn how to do it with sounds that 
or with mouth movements that have no sound. Not all late talkers need that step, but some do. And so, again, as a therapist, you really have to tie this in with parents as they're you know, just concerned about talking, talking, talking. You have to say, well, no, he's not repeating the words that you say, but it's not that he doesn't, under, you know, he doesn't understand how to do that, but he really doesn't understand how to repeat anything or how to imitate anything that he sees other people do. So you have to get walk way back in that uh, whole continuum of Im- imitation and teach it at that earlier, easier level. All right, so let's move on to the next skill. This is uses early gestures like waving and pointing. And I mentioned this earlier when we were talking about joint attention. With joint attention, remember that's where a kid is going to look at what we're showing him or what we're pointing to. After kids have enough experience doing that, they begin to do that with us. So they begin to show us things and try to get our attention with gestures or with some other nonverbal way of communicating. And again, why is this important? Because we know that this higher level purposeful movement of our bodies to communicate a message, gesturing, happens in typical language development just as or just before true words emerge. So they realize, (laughs) a kid does, I have to do something to get something, and again, their little bodies using using those nonverbal things like pulling you and reaching and pointing and showing and giving and then that uh, clapping, you know, to express approval. All of those nonverbal things really do evolve and mature into a kid learning how to use words for those purposes, but he has to learn how to do it nonverbally first, and that's with gestures. So that's how we make that link. And listen, gestures don't just stop when we learn how to use words. As I've been doing this show, man, I am talking with my hands, even though you can't see them, because that's just a natural part of life to express yourself. When you are saying, I don't know, to someone, you probably give a little shoulder shrug. Or when you are um, telling someone no, you probably also shake your head. So nonverbal communication is an important part of communicating with other people forever. It's not something that a child learns and then discards once he learns how to talk. So such an important thing, and we certainly want to see nonverbal communication get going. Now, not all late talkers struggle with this. Some late talkers are just ingenious with how they learn to compensate for their lack of words with a lot of gestures and nonverbal things. And so many little friends that I've worked with over the years don't know um, American Sign Language or baby signs, but they have made up their own little signs for things, and their parents understand what they mean when they perform a little action with their hands or a little facial expression. And that's always so, um, I, I just I just revel in that. When I see that in a child and a mom will say, a kid does something that I've never seen him do before and I'm not sure what it means, and mom says, oh, that means, and she tells me, and I just think, oh, how smart are you <laughs> that you have come up to the kid, you know, mentally, I'm I'm just, you know, thinking this about him, that you have come up with your own way of communicating this when you can't say it yet. And so certainly that, that just highlights the importance of helping a child learn how to communicate nonverbally with his little body, with his facial expressions, and even with the tone of his voice before he can learn how to talk and express himself. And again, lots of late talkers don't struggle with this, but some do. So that's what's included here in this 
uh, set of 11 prelinguistic skills. All right, we're all the way up to skill number 11, so the very last one that we want to talk about today. This one is initiates. Initiates interaction with others to get his needs met or to play. And this is where a kid deliberately works to get your attention. This is where he's doing something to let you know what he needs or what he wants. And again, even if it's just for you to pay attention to him, just for you to notice him. Why is this important to language development? Because we cannot depend on other people to approach us and know what we want. We cannot depend on other people to read our minds forever. And certainly if we think about when we bring our babies home, when they are infants, we do attend to their every need, their every whimper. They don't really initiate much. I mean, they do cry, but again, we've already said that that's kind of reflexive or instinctive. They're not, they don't really think, I need to cry to get her attention. That evolves over a baby's first year after thousands and thousands of experiences that have reinforced that behavior, you know, the second I cry, mom appears right in front of me and makes everything better. At the beginning, it's not like that. An infant just cries because usually, you know, an external or an internal source, they have a gas pain or they're hungry or their diaper is wet or something has scared them. They react by crying and then we respond and take away something that's unpleasant or add something that is pleasant and that's, that's over time, babies learn how to do that. They learn how to get that piece going first or how to initiate. And that's purposeful. And, again, it takes time for a baby to learn how to do that. But so many of our little guys who have developmental differences get stuck in that responder role, meaning that they don't really know how to begin interaction with other people, and so or or their ways of doing that are really really limited. Like a kid may only know how to cry, and it's up to a parent to figure out what's going wrong there. Or some of our little guys who go on to be diagnosed with autism, they learn how to lead their parents to what they want. And again, that is not a bad thing because they are beginning to initiate with that leading. They just don't know what to do after that. So we have to look. And we have to, at, at how kids are almost beginning to initiate and how they are beginning to indicate that they have a need, and then we have to teach them how to expand that. Now, I did a whole show about initiating so a, a couple shows ago, so go back and listen to that. And this is show number 324, so it was just the previous show, number 323, and listen for those specific therapy ideas because that is a real skill or real deficit that lots of our little guys with language delays or especially our little guys who have another diagnosis like Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or especially when there's a motor component, not always, but sometimes those kids really, really have difficulty getting that initiation piece going because they have that motor um, difference as well. So list, go back and listen to that show for some things that you can do to get um, those things going. So that's our list of 11 skills, and again, they they all build on each other. They're all <laughs> connected in typical development as they should be, but for some of our little guys that are late talkers, we can really start to pinpoint and, and really say, okay, that's something she absolutely cannot do, or that's something that's emerging that she's sort of doing, but I'm really having to help her. And guys, with so many of these skills, if we just focus on it and pay attention to it a little bit and just really <laughs> ch 
change a few little things we're doing, children just blossom and that skill emerges and then we're able to use that new skill as a foundation for the next skill. So these things are so, so important. And I think as speech-language pathologists and other early interventionists, we sometimes don't take enough time to explain to parents how all of these skills come together and lead to talking. We just get in there and we just focus on, you know, say it, tell me, and we're so just gosh, to have tunnel vision about talking that we miss all of these other things that a kid can't do. And here's what happens. You work on these other really basic skills that support language development, and then the words come. And so your job is not nearly as hard as a therapist or a parent because you're really, really working on the underlying cause. You're really treating the skill that's truly missing, yes, the words are missing. Yes, he's not talking yet, but it's, it's, that's not the only problem. The words haven't developed yet because there's something missing at an earlier level. And so you go back, you fill in those gaps, and then oh, <laughs> many, many times the words then start to come. And, again, your work is much easier because you've treated the core issue. You've treated what's really, really, really gone wrong or hasn't developed months or weeks before rather than working on something that's just too hard. And a lot of times I give parents this example. I say, you know, we would never teach a child algebra until he's understood addition and subtraction. And we would never teach a child addition and subtraction until they understood numbers, until they recognize numbers. And we would never teach those, what those numbers represent until they understood quantity or that, you know, a, a five or six of something is uh, it's a lot more than just a single object. So do you get what I'm saying there? Sometimes we treat words, words would be like the algebra piece, the talking piece or the intelligibility piece. You know, he's trying to say something, but I have no idea what it is. That's like the algebra piece. When we need to back way up, the problem isn't that. It's what's happened all along the way. So we have to go back and, as I said before, fill in those skills that are missing. And so I hope that as a parent, you're thinking about all these things that have to come first and come together first and aren't just so hyper-focused on those words. Now, that's a real hard pill for some parents to swallow because they really do genuinely think there's just something wrong with my kid's mouth or it's just that vocalization piece. You know, they've picked out one little piece of this. But as a therapist, you may be saying, well, yeah, that's a problem, but look, we've got the, these other six skills aren't so great either. And so that's what we have to do as therapists is really help parents make these connections. And that's why this chart from Let's Talk About Talking and these things that I've shared today, it's all listed there in this just one-page chart, and it's so easy to share with parents. Now, I want you to be able to have this information. I already told you how to get it. If you're on my email list, you just get back on your email, that I've, uh, the emails that I send out, and you can find that little password to uh, get in and get your copy of the chart. If you're not on my email list, get on there so you can get this chart, and then that's going to get you started with what these prerequisite skills are, pre-linguistic skills are. You're going to see that column that says how this looks. So we had the skill, and then I would tell you, you know, look for this. This, like uh, when we were talking about skill number seven, understands early words and follows simple directions. In the how this looks column on the chart, 
that means that a child completes many different requests consistently. So for every one of the skills that we talk about, there's a little explanation column there. The next explanation column is the one-liner that we've used today to tie in the importance of that skill for language development. And then you've got a big section that says beginning strategies. And so you'll get some initial things to try to get that going. And again, this is the summary. This chart really summarizes the whole 330-something page book. <laughs> Let's talk about talking. It's my newest therapy manual. I am just, as I've said in my emails, totally stoked about this project. I feel like it's the most important work that I've ever done. I feel like it ties together every other project that I've ever done. I think my whole you know, 25-year career is kind of tied up in this book with these are the building blocks. These are the core skills that really let us know when a child is developmentally ready to talk. And so it's such a good tool looking at the chart to use just to explain to a parent, well, you know, no wonder we're not hearing words because he's struggling with so many of these skills. It can also be um, the kind of the flip side when a child comes to you for an initial evaluation, but all of these things are in place, and you can say to a parent, look, I think it's going to just be, uh, you know, a matter of time because look at how well he's coming together and let me show you these skills. So you can certainly use this chart to support your work as a speech-language pathologist or a developmental interventionist or an OT or whatever you are, a teacher person. You can use this chart to really help parents understand how language development occurs and how well it's going or not going for their particular child. Again, and it will give you um, ways to tie that information in and a starting point for when you identify a skill that's missing or that's weaker, let's say a kid is only only has a couple of representations that you can think of in his previous, you know, couple of months. Well, gosh, he's only sort of tried to wave bye bye once and he never tries to point. You know, if you were looking specifically at gestures and you were thinking, you know, he, he doesn't have very many of these things, it'll give you a different way to look at uh, what he's doing in every particular skill and then how to help that move on, again, how to strengthen that particular skill. So I am just crazy about this book and this approach. As you can tell, I worked really hard to develop it, and I've already started getting emails. It's just been out about a month, and therapists and parents are responding so well to it and saying, you know, this is helping us so much. I'm already seeing progress. Thank you so much for this book. And so I want you to know it's available to you, and I want you to know what a great resource it could be for you as a parent of a late talker and certainly as a therapist who works with uh, toddlers and preschoolers with language delays. This will really kind of shape probably all that you already know, <laughs> but help you pull all of your pieces together so that you can just be as effective as you would ever want to be because you've got new ways to explain things and help parents make these connections and really understand why it is that speech therapists need to work on more than talking. And so you'll really be able to, again, um, refine your approach there and get some better things to say as you're talking to parents and help them make better connections. All right, so that's it with today's show. You can get more information about purchasing Let's Talk About Talking from my website at teachmetotalk.com. If you want to shoot me an email about that, if you have some specific questions about your child or a child that you're working with, you can always email me for more help at uh, Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at teachmetotalk.com, and I will be more than happy to help you with that. All right, that's all for today's show. 
um, again, I, it's the holidays, so I wish you all a happy new year and join me in 18. Bye. Bye.